Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want to minister tonight on the third part of the series that we've been in, Deliverance from Demons. As you know, this has been a very enlightening, in-depth look, especially right now when there is a lot of conversation happening about demons and being delivered. In fact, um, we have seen it in the movies, we've, uh, a lot of social media uh, conversation. It's so important that we have a scriptural foundation so that we not get caught up in hooky spook, uh, cartoonville, amen. We will make sure that we know what the word says. That's why we have to stay in the word. Somebody say you got to be in that word. So I'm not preaching or teaching from Reader's Digest. I'm not trying to give you something that I've got from a Facebook prophet or a YouTube channel. I want to give you the word of the Lord tonight in this part three sermon or series on deliverance from demons. Tonight I want to focus on this thought, occupying space. How does the devil or demons, how are they granted a space in your life? Hold tight with me. We could also subtitle this Space Invaders. <laughs> now, if you are from my generation, you just saw yourself at the mall in the game room playing an upright machine called Space Invaders and spending, and that's where you had to put money in a machine to get tokens. Come on, somebody. Space Invaders or Occupying Space is really where I want to minister from on tonight. I want to give you a chance to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Before we get to that verse, I want to share with you Good news, Pastor Beverly has been in Ohio for the last two and a half weeks with her father and mother. Her dad had originally suffered from a bowel obstruction and they had to do emergency surgery on him. He has been paralyzed on his left side for 25 years. He already walks with the help of a, of a sidewalker and a strong brace on his leg when he is able to move. In addition to that, he had suffered Crohn's disease and had to have a complete resection many years ago. Pacemaker, prostate cancer, he has gone through a lot. So when they cut you in the middle of your stomach in your core, that in itself takes a lot to recover from. Add to that being paralyzed on your left side. He took a turn for the worse this past weekend, was in the hospital, we really thought he was crossing over. His vitals completely dropped, his oxygen low, and we started having hard conversations, necessary conversations, and it almost looked like it was over. Sometime between Sunday afternoon to Monday morning, God flipped the script. Hallelujah. He was, they've been trying to feed him. He hadn't ate for days. Um, and today, after two weeks in the hospital, they transferred him to re a rehab center. So he is on his way. Amen. So we ask you to pray. Pray the will of God. Pray for him to be strengthened and healed. And, and pray for Pastor Beverly as she's there with her mother and father. If any of you know what it is to sit in the hospital all day, you don't do much, but you're wore out by the end of the night. And so she does covet your prayers. She sends her hugs, her hellos, and thanks you. She's felt your prayers. She appreciates you as a family. Tonight, I want to move into this word and invite the Holy Spirit to transport our minds so that we 
can give attention, careful attention to the Word of God. I just ask you, if you feel so inclined, would slip one hand up, but just as a way of surrendering to God and say, God, transform my mind. Bring us clarity tonight, God, and deliver us into right thinking, that we might be a people who are delivered, that we're not just healed, we're made whole. And the church say amen. As we continue this series, um, we've been talking about how to get us to a place of self-deliverance. And although I love to do uh, therapy, counseling, and well, I really don't, but although it is part of my purview, um, and I, the best counsel you will ever get from me, by the way, is when I'm in this pulpit preaching the word under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You will have answers to your questions. There will be healing. You'll, at the end of the message or the whatever it was that you will say, you know, God already answered it. God already answered it. And we have a professional staff, uh, a therapist and, and counseling on staff, marriage ministry, all of those tools that are available for us to be able to help one another. And that is our goal um, but my ultimate goal is not just to meet with people and pray over the same thing every six months, but it's to teach you how to walk in self-deliverance. Uh, now, you don't have to wear a tag that says that, but just suppose, you know how the ushers have an usher tag on? Just see an imaginary tag on you that says delivered. Somebody said, what's your name? Delivered. <laughs> you could call me Delve, but uh, self-delivered, amen. And it's important that we learn how to walk in self-deliverance because our fight is not with flesh and blood, but an invisibility, a principality, and a power that you cannot rightly see. Jesus said in Revelation 3 and 21, and here's the scripture for tonight. He that overcomes as I have overcome shall sit down with me on my throne, even as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I think that's a, such a powerful verse that it's worth us reading it in concert. Would you join me? He that overcomes as I have overcome shall sit down with me on my throne, even as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. As you read that verse, you have to ask the question, what did Jesus overcome? What did the Son of God, the Lamb of God, have to overcome? Well, if you remember when he started his earthly ministry at the age of 30, what happened? The Bible said that as he came out of the water, being baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, the Bible said he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he did battle against the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't know how many in the room have felt like you've been in a battle for 40 days and 40 nights, but look over at your neighbor and say, Lucille, I, I feel like I can identify. It, it may not even be 40 days or 40 nights, but it's been a battle nonetheless. And the word of God is clear that our fight is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and against forces of spiritual darkness. So I am a pastor, and what I found in pastoring people is that many of God's people are being oppressed with demonic forces of darkness. I'd love to give you a different report. I'd love to be able to uh, turn that frown upside down and say it's all gravy, but I deal with demonic activity on the regular. And somebody said, well, you know, pastor, I just don't believe in all that. Well, walk a mile in my shoe. And you might 
bear witness to some of the things that I have seen that are not only puzzling and mind-boggling, but aggravating as well. I found that I can't reach everyone, and neither can you. I can't help everyone, and neither can you. But we can teach people how to walk in self-deliverance, how you can deliver your own self out of your struggle. You see, Jesus is the great deliverer. Somebody smile when we say that. He's the great deliverer. He came, and the scripture said that he came to set the captives free. And we know that we're in this war, and we know that we're in this fight. I know there's theology focused now on you don't have to fight, and I accept that because Jesus overcame. I, too, can overcome. But yet the Apostle Paul would tell us things like, do war a good warfare. He would tell us to fight the good fight of faith. And I don't know who told you that you would, when you came to Jesus Christ, you would never have to endure another day of conflict. They lied to you. When you came to Jesus Christ, the fight has just begun. You are fighting the good fight of faith. And the Bible said, lay hold to eternal life. There's a war that's being waged and you and I have no choice whether or not we're going to fight the good fight. We are engaged in a battle and we cannot leave. We cannot go AWOL. We cannot cross over to the enemy side. We have to stay in the fight. The fight is so important that your family, their victory hinges on your fight. Your own soul hinges on your ability to fight a good fight. And so Jesus wants to do, get this now, he wants to empower us. He wants to train us. He wants to teach us how to fight the powers of darkness ourselves. There are going to be some times you won't be able to get a hold of your prayer partner. There'll be some times you won't be able to get a hold of the pastoral staff or the hope ministry and your uh, spiritual sister. You won't be able to get a hold of the people that can lift you up and text you and call you. And, and there'll be times in the midnight hour, it's just going to be you and you're going to have to learn how to fight a good fight all by yourself. You're going to have to learn how to pray in the spirit and pray your way through. Come on, somebody. You won't be able to say, well, if I could have got a hold of somebody, I'd oh, God wants to empower you so that you can uh, rebuke every evil spirit that the enemy would ever try to attempt to throw in your direction. And you can be here tonight and maybe you can pretend that we're not in a war, but hear me, church, to do so is just willful ignorance because the scripture specifically says that we are in a war. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that our struggle, speaking to believers, he's not addressing the non-believer, he's not addressing the heathen, he's writing the letter to the church of Ephesus. And by the time he reaches chapter 6 in the book, he, he says we, he's beginning to speak that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness. And so the authors of Scripture in the New Testament tells us that there is an adversary and we are fighting him each and every day. He was speaking when he said our. He was saying that we have an adversary, our adversary, not the heathen's adversary. Oh, yes, he's their adversary too, but he's admonishing the believer. Our adversary, and I mean it's not your husband. And it's not your wife, and it's not your mother-in-law, but all of us have an adversary, the enemy that's trying to fight us. We know him by Lucifer. We know him by the devil. Somebody called him the boogeyman. Somebody called him Slewfoot, but he has many names. But Bible said that he's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And so it's important that I don't hide from that reality and put my head in the sand and, and just begin to say, well, you know, I don't know if all that is true, but we live in a world 
where Satan is real and where demons dwell. And that's why as soon as Jesus began his ministry, he began to set people free who were bound by devils. He was always healing people from sickness and setting people free from spirits and demonic activity. Now, I don't have time to go back and lay the foundation again, but in the last couple of sessions where we've talked in these Wednesday nights and these messages, we've laid foundational teaching, and truthfully, we could probably extend this series for weeks on end. I don't know what God has in store, but remember what I shared that people oftentimes when they hear the term demon or the word demon, uh, they, they have a hard time being able to find a, a, a concept of this uh, because we live in, a, in such a sci-fi world and we live in a, such a marvel uh, universe and we live in such a the force be with you Star Wars and make it so number one Star Trek and we have all these uh, we have been so desensitized that nothing really surprises us but because we're so sci-fi we don't know that even we believe the Bible that says that there is a real devil come on somebody and so when we hear the term there being a demon in someone's life or an oppression from demons on somebody's life, we have the tendency to want to reject that because we, we don't understand the totality of the Scripture. And the Bible teaches us that we have to receive understanding of the Scripture through the Spirit. So it's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to understand the Word of God through the Spirit. The Spirit has to teach us. Come on, somebody say, teach me, Holy Ghost. And I want you to write this uh, down as a definition of a demon. A demon is simply a spiritual force of darkness that is divine intelligence and personality. And I've shared with you this the last two sessions that Demons have a personality. That's one of the reasons when Jesus asked the man who was possessed in the, the tombs of Gadarene, he, he asked, what is your name? And they said, we're legion, for we are many. He identified their personality and identified that there was some, uh, 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 their thinking and intelligence from them. Come on. And we define this in these messages. And I also talked about the strategies that demons use to gain entrance. Now, I don't have time to unpack it again, but just in your notes, just rewrite these three things. The strategy of the devil to get an entrance into your life, number one, is unforgiveness. For you to walk in an unforgiveness, you can invite an open door of demonic activity. The other one is trauma. When you've gone through trauma, it can open a door for demonic activity. I would say the third one that we have visited just briefly is woundedness. To be wounded. Uh, wounded from a relationship. Wounded from an incident. Wounded from people. Wounded from uh, anything. You can carry a wound in your life that if it goes unhealed, you have opened up an opportunity for the enemy of your soul to lay a strategy to keep you defeated. And so in other words, how can a demon gain influence over a person's life? I shared with you this, write it down again, through personal sin. When you and I personally sin, we are actually opening up a legal right for Satan to gain access into our life. When you sin, you are giving a legal right for Satan to enter in your area, your space, and begin to wreak havoc in your life. Example that I could give maybe is by using drugs. Uh, people don't realize that when they're doing drugs, they're actually putting themselves 
in, spiritual, in a spiritual sphere where the enemy, where demonic spirits can gain access into their life. When people are engaged in illicit sex, pornography, having affairs, what they're actually doing is they're taking themselves outside of God's protective boundary and they're going outside the fence of his covering and protection and now they're in a realm where Satan literally can access their life because they've removed themselves from the covering of the Lord. And I don't care how anointed you are, all of us can invite a place for the enemy to wreak havoc in our life when we remove ourselves from the covering and the protection of the Lord. Preach in there, Pastor. I, I know it's a good word. And there are certain things that you may have done in your life even before you came, became a believer or even after you became a believer. There are certain acts that you've done, certain types of sins that have opened a door for a spirit to get in and now that spirit is harassing you. tormenting you, working on you to wear you out. We've defined the difference between possession and occupancy. And I explained, and I say it again, that a demon cannot possess God's people. But a demon can occupy space. Are you with me? A demon can inflict torment and can harass you in your house. How many times have we said from this pulpit that when you smell hell's toilet in your house, you better go on a hunt and find out where this odor and this attitude and this spirit is working and God will show you where it's at. He'll reveal it to you. You have to realize it repent of it, renounce it, and then cast it off in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We know that a demon can inflict harassment and torment. Now let me clarify again that a believer cannot be possessed by a demon. Listen, church. Believers cannot be possessed by a devil. Because possession implies ownership. And we cannot be owned by a devil. A believer cannot be owned by a demon because we already belong to Jesus. He has possession of us. We are God's sons and daughters. We are the inheritance of Jesus. And God alone owns us and has engraved us in the palm of his hand. Come on, if you believe it, you ought to shout hallelujah. But listen, what demons do and what demonic energy does, get this now, it invades our space. It can enter into our space. And if there is an opening in our space, a demon can get in. He can occupy that space. He's a squatter. He's a squatter. He's not supposed to be there, but he can enter and occupy space either in my mind or my body, and I'm going to help somebody here. And when that happens, these demons need to be confronted by the living word of God, by Jesus himself, and driven out in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody ought to praise God that you and I have the authority to drive the devil out. I, I want to show you tonight how demons occupy space. We're going to lay a foundation, take a journey that deals with this mystery. And I'm just laying foundation tonight. The mystery that I'm referring to, and I want you to write this down, is what role do demons play in sickness? Remember, when Jesus delivered people 
From the time he began earthly public ministry at age 30 to 33 and a half, he was always casting demons out of people and healing people. That's what his ministry was. Preaching, teaching of the kingdom. So in other words, when we ask what role do demons play in sickness, we would ask, is sickness caused by demons or is sickness just simply something that can be medically and scientifically explained and demons have nothing to do with it at all. I'm sure that even many of you that are under the sound of my voice tonight, probably in your heart of hearts, don't believe that demons cause sickness or can cause uh, sickness in your life. Many people, and you've met them and maybe you meet them, Maybe you are them. Say that the Bible, when it was written and it began to talk about demons and began to talk about sickness, many people believe that they just didn't know any better 2,000 years ago when the Bible was written. And they attributed a supernatural cause to physical problems only because um, uh, they felt people were ignorant then and didn't know, so they just labeled it demonic activity. They labeled it supernatural uh, manifestation because they were ignorant to not know if this was really just a medical condition. I'm just giving you how people think in this world we're living in, and I'm sure that many people in this room be, maybe have thought that at a time or two, or maybe in your life through all of your study on YouTube. That you know when the Bible speaks about somebody in the New Testament being afflicted with a demon, somebody will come along and say, well, that really just wasn't a demon at all. It's just, an, uh, you know, it's just uh, an unscientific community that didn't realize it was just merely a medical problem. They were just superstitious people 2,000 years ago. It was really just a medical issue, not a, uh, a spiritual issue. But the question that you need to ask yourself right now, and write this down, is the Word of God true? Let me ask again. Is the Word of God true? And does the Word of God accurately record Jesus' words? Because we read in the New Testament that Jesus would deliver people or he would heal people from their sickness. And some of those times, Jesus said the source of the sickness is a demon. So you really need to ask yourself right now the question, do I believe in God's word? Because you can't have it both ways. You either believe his word to be true or you believe yourself to be true. This is where faith has to operate in our life. You cannot have it both ways. You can't say that no sickness is ever caused by a demon and at the same time say that you believe the Bible because Jesus said in Scripture, that certain times when he was helping someone physically, someone that was sick, he said that the source of their sickness was a demon. So you either need to receive and accept the word of God as the word of God instead of what you're doing and you're saying the Bible really isn't the authoritative written word of God. You've got to make a decision. I either believe the word of God to be true inerrant, infallible, or I believe it was just a bunch of uh, uh, people getting together and wanted to see their name in a book. You have to receive the word of God as the authoritative word that it is. And I want to encourage you, Jesus said in John 6 and 63, the words that I speak unto you they are spirit, and they are life. 
This is why, Brother Timmy, I can believe in this word. Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. That ought to bring an amen out of somebody's mouth because this is the words of Jesus. The words that I speak, he said, are spirit and life. And there's no reason for you to doubt that the word of God, the New Testament, is inaccurate or is uh, maybe just a historical record of both what Jesus did and what he said. You, you don't have to doubt that. So when I know that and knowing this now, I, I want to look at a few scriptures in the word of God because we're talking about how do demons occupy space. They can occupy space, I shared with you, in your mind. They can cause your mind to be obsessed with anxiety, with worry, with stress. Uh, And I'm not saying that we're possessed by demons. I'm simply saying they can intrude into your space. Now, to prove uh, this to you, I would say that there are many people, write this down, that are, that are living very fearfully or what we would call fearful living. Don't point at anybody, but we all know someone, whether it is even us, that we are fearful about everything, living in fear all the time, obsessed with thoughts of fear, obsessed with thoughts of worry, obsessed with thoughts of anxiety. Come on. So I want to ask you a question. Write this question down. Where do these thoughts come from? Is God the author of fear? Is God the author of worry? Is God the author of anxiety? No, no. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Oh, I just want to go ahead and say that again. He has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Oh, you ought to praise God if I even be able to ha- sit here tonight. You could have been locked up somewhere. They could have put thrown away the key on you, but God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I don't know who I'm teaching to tonight that maybe they tried to label you and they put all these labels on you, but in the name of Jesus, not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of the Lord. We know where those thoughts come from. You can't explain fear and you can't explain worry and you can't explain anxiety just by a test tube of chemicals. No, it is a spirit. Come on now. So the point is, if you find yourself oftentimes just tormented by fear and tormented by anxiety and tormented by worries and fretting, that means there is a force at work that has invaded your space and is causing you to have breakdowns and meltdowns and, and can't function. Oh, I'm, let me just help somebody. My goal tonight is to teach us how to walk in self-deliverance. Amen. But if you're experiencing these things, you have to understand there is more to it than a test tube of chemicals. There's more to it than somebody diagnosing you with a medical term could it be that an enemy a demon a spirit has invaded an area of your life and is trying to take over your space to invade your thinking to invade your mind and it just now listen if that's happening to you that doesn't make you unclean that doesn't make you a sinner that doesn't make you somebody who God doesn't love it just speaks to you and I about the reality of the war that that we are in. In the same way that Jesus, when he went to the temple 2,000 years ago and drove the money changers out, they had invaded God's space. Selling sacrifices, trying to turn a dollar, what they were supposed, people were supposed to bring of sacrifice, they didn't only put any effort into it. They said, well, when I get to the temple, I'll just buy someone else's sacrifice. 
and the Lord will be pleased. And Jesus came in and flipped the tables on them. And said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And he drove them out with a whip. Oh, my, my, my. Oh, Jesus was meek, but he surely wasn't weak. And he drove them out out of the space. Come on, somebody. He drove them out. And I want to help somebody if we just run away from this because it makes us uncomfortable and pastors should be teaching on this, then there's not any help for you because you don't realize there is an enemy after you trying to destroy you. And you can get in everybody's prayer line and call every 1-800 number to try to get help from Sister Hoopendiddle. But I want you to understand you've got to learn how to call on Jesus for yourself and drive the devil out of your space. I can't just hide my head. I can't bury my head like an ostrich and, and think that I'm going to be okay and, and just think that I'm just going to float through life and, and, and pretend that it, there isn't a real recipe of deliverance, that there isn't a real recipe of freedom. God wants you to understand you don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against spiritual wickedness in higher places. You have to take authority over that spirit and drive it out in the name of Jesus. I got to preach like a man standing in somebody's way. I got to tell you, you can't live in victory if you're shacked up with the devil. He's occupying your bed. You're going to have to fight. Somebody said, well, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. You better learn how to love to fight because you have an unseen enemy that is warring against your soul. So I have to recognize when he's the one that's responsible for some of the things that are hurting my life or my family or my children. And when I recognize that there is a devil, that there are demons that we are against spiritual wickedness and darkness, then I am told the remedy of that is to put on the spiritual armor, as Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, so that I can dislodge those demons, so that I can drive them out of my family, so I can drive them out of my generational seed line. If you are here tonight, don't shout me down on this, but if you are here tonight and you've got anxiety all the time and stress and, and the fact that I'm preaching this has got you stirred up, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you really want your children to inherit your vices? For some of us, dysfunction has been normal. We're used to seeing people scream and fight and punch each other in the home. We've never seen what a godly home looks like. We think that's normal. But I'm here to tell you, you are a chain breaker. You don't have to take that sin into your family. Oh, if you're about to get married or about to come into some family, let me tell you, you don't have to bring the sins of your ancestors in. You don't have to bring that old alcohol spirit in. You don't have to bring that old demonic activity. You don't have to bring that old fist-fighting, cursing spirit. You don't have to have it. In the name of Jesus, you drive, dislodge the devil. Drive him out. Get your whip out and drive him out. He is a squatter. He don't belong in your family. Tell the devil, you don't have a right to be here. But like every squatter, they don't just go away. So you got to stand up and make them go away. And I want to show you some examples in the Word of God where there are certain instances of sickness that have satanic origin. Or did you hear that? Where there is a satanic origin from evidence. And I want us to be clear about this. I don't believe that every sickness is caused by a demon. Because reality is, we live in a physical body. And we will wear out. Touch your knees and say, knees? knees. 
you will function. Twist your hip and say, hip? <laughs> You're going to last me two lifetimes. <laughs> a, lot of things, a lot of things happen in our bodies as a simple result of aging. Amen? Sometime now when you sit up out of, you woke up in the morning and I sit up in the bed, I have to stretch a little bit. And all you young adults be like, that ain't going to happen. Your day has come in. Mm, 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 mm. But that's not demonic activity. you just getting older. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying every sickness is caused by a demon. But I am saying that certain illnesses and instances that are caused by demons are in the scripture. Go with me to Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10, on down to verse 16. And he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Uh-oh. For those of you tonight that are hung up on the Sabbath, you need to remember Jesus is your Sabbath. He said, I am your rest. <laughs> well, I'm not saying you can't have a Sabbath. Thank God for a Sabbath. I enjoy just about every Monday I have a good Sabbath. I try to anyhow. The Sabbath was made for me, not me for it. Nobody won't help me right there. Sabbath was made for me, not me for it. Jesus fulfilled everything. He is my Sabbath. He is my rest. I don't know why I needed to teach that. I felt there was a contrary spirit in the house, so I just felt like I'd share that. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Jesus, imagine that. Jesus. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. How long? 18 years. Was it medical or spiritual? Well, it was both. It was spiritual that manifested in the physical. And was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. I know these people. Because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed. And not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered them, thou hypocrite. Doeth not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, notice here, whom Satan hath bound. Another confirmation that it was a spirit. These 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? Here this woman is sick and Jesus' explanation is that it's a spirit. And now Jesus would say in verse 16, it was Satan that had her bound. And not only bound, she was bound for 18 years. 18 long years. And he said, should she not be released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And so very, very clear instance in the Word of God, and I shared with you previously about how a demon came into our home when Caitlin was a baby and choked my wife in the bed. She nearly lost all her breath. I was paralyzed with fear. He stood at the edge of my bed and hovered over me and began to taunt me and tell me he was going to destroy me. And, and I, was, I was paralyzed with fear until I began to whisper the name of Jesus. 
and it started out with a low whisper. But by the time I got done shouting, I mean, I was declaring his name and saying, Jesus, gee, I came up out of that bed swinging at that demon and it left in the name of Jesus and it never has returned. Come on, somebody. That was 30 years ago that God brought me freedom and victory. I'm telling you, you have authority over every devil in hell when you use the name of Jesus. Now, demons can be the source of physical problems. Fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, and even physical pain sometimes can be the result of a demon waiting to inflict you with more. And Jesus said the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy So here's an example in the Word of God how demons can not only occupy space in the body, but how they can occupy space in the mind. Are you ready? Matthew 17, verse 15 through 18. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falls into the fire and oft into the water. So the devil's trying to burn him up or drown him. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured that very hour. Now, this is an example of someone who is hurting themselves, someone who is inflicting pain up on themselves. And I would dare say by now, in the year of 2023, many of us have heard of someone or know someone who inflicts pain up on themselves. What is happening with many of the young people today in what is called cutting. They cut themselves. What's behind that? Why do they cut themselves? It is a demon trying to inflict pain on them. For those of you that have studied in psychology and all of our social workers, I applaud you. But don't forget, you are a Christian first. And you believe, thus saith the word first. And what's going on here with this demon that has been throwing this man's son into the fire, throwing him into the water, trying to destroy him, and the man continues in verse 16. He says, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus said, you unbelieving, perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? That's what he was saying. Bring him to me because he, I'm going to deal with this myself. And Jesus rebuked the devil. Get it now. The demon came out of him, and the boy was cured within the hour or what we would believe it instantaneously, that he was delivered. Now, you've got to remember again that the man's father said in verse 15, he is a lunatic, and the cause of the boy's lunacy, uh, uh, the cause of his mind not working soundly, is the result of a demon that has been tormenting this child, this young man, and trying to kill him. Now, listen, this is a message that is meant for victory. I want you to understand that because as soon as you face the devil and face him off, he has to flee. As soon as you pull the covers back, he has to flee. The devil can only operate in darkness. 
That's why when you shine the light of Jesus, you tie his hands and he cannot operate. Anytime that you can bring the light of Jesus into a situation that is dark and shadowy and nobody knows how to deal with it, when the name of Jesus comes, demons begin to tremble at the name of Jesus. You can shine the light and cause the devil's hands to be tied where he can no longer function. Somebody right now begin to declare that over your family. In the name of Jesus, the light of Jesus over my house, the light of Jesus over my children, the light of Jesus over my whole home. In the name of Jesus, the devil has to flee. When you'll face demons, and you will, because you are part of the army of God, they have to run. Punch your neighbor and tell them they have to run. Why? Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and the earth has been given unto us. We can declare in the name of Jesus. He said, you have that power. You have that power. You can say, no, it will not happen in my house. Now, I'm sharing these things with you as they come. I don't want to make you afraid. I want to equip you. I want to encourage you. I want you to have a spiritual understanding so you can understand spiritual things that are happening in your school, in society, in the government, in the church, in the neighborhood, in the city. You have to recognize your enemy. Recognizing him will make him stand out. Recognizing it will make it stand out. Thou foul spirit of hell. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. So don't be helpless and don't sit here tonight and say, well, I don't know what to do. Uh, We're going to continue in this series, but as I close tonight, when my dad and mom back in the 60s came into Christ, they didn't find him. He was never lost. He found them. Jesus was never lost. He's been where he's always been. He's yet on the throne. But when my parents received Christ, came out of the Baptist church. My mama was raised old regular Baptist. And my daddy was raised free will Baptist. And they were told, stay away from them Pentecostal people. <laughs> In them mountains of Kentucky, you stay away from them because they handle snakes and they do all kinds of cuckoo stuff. And so my mom and daddy, just like, we better not go until my Southern Baptist Aunt Thelma took my mom to a Pentecostal revival during the week back when they had revivals that would go three to four weeks at a time, took my mom, because back then, my mom and daddy weren't living for God. Daddy was a hellion. (laughs) He was in trouble doing this, that, and the other. My mom and daddy, even though they were raised around church, mm, you have to have your own experience with God. So my Aunt Thelma, who's a Southern Baptist, said, Carol, let's go to church. There's a revival over here. Did come out, it found out it was at a Pentecostal church, one of them old holiness churches. Here come my Aunt Thelma and my mother. They preached that night, hell so hot and heaven so glorious. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon my mother. She got so under conviction, she ran down to the altar. And them women with their towers of power, the big hairdos. Anybody remember the big hairdos? This generation don't understand what bobby pins are. But anyhow, them old saints of God, them ladies, they started praying on my mother. They got, got to praying on her. And not only did they lead her to Jesus and she confessed Christ as her Savior and was gloriously saved, they wouldn't let her up. They kept on praying. And the power of the Holy Ghost come upon my Baptist mother. Whoo, hallelujah. And she began to speak in other tongues as a Baptist woman began to speak in other tongues. 
And she shouted all over that place. The Spirit of God, just such freedom. She got victory that night. She went back to her seat. My Aunt Thelma said, get your stuff, let's go. She was scared to death. My mom, she got so, my daddy came home from work that night. My mom was on cloud nine, headed for 10. He said, what's wrong with you? She told him that she'd gone to that Pentecostal church. He got fighting mad. When you're not living for God, you don't want anyone else to live for God. Daddy said, you're not going back lest I go with you. He had to keep an eye on her. A couple nights later, they showed up at that same revival. It was still going strong. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon my mom and daddy again. My daddy got under conviction. Here's that old free will Baptist man. He got up out of his seat and ran down to an altar of repentance. Cried out to God for mercy. Asked the Lord to forgive him of his sins, Brother J.R. And he was gloriously saved in that moment. But the men would not let him up. They kept on praying. They said, there's more for you. There's more for you. And by the time they were done, my daddy came up speaking another tongue with the power of God upon his life. Shouted all over that church. They joined that holiness church. All them young couples that got saved in that revival all was living for the Lord. We would go on and mom and daddy would raise us in church from that point forward. I would be born in 1970. My sister was born in a year before me. We we're what they call Irish twins. I was born two days before my sister's first birthday. Woo, can you imagine now having children that close? <laughs> we were a terror. We always sat in pinching distance from our mother. She'd pinch the fire out of you. We didn't have no kids, church. You acted up, they'd pinch the life out of you and dare you to cry. Come on. I mean, was I, that was me. That was how I was raised. <laughs> Years would go by, my mom and dad, my dad would feel the call to ministry. He sat up under our pastor. Our pastor raised him up believed in him and sent him out with a blessing but before all that happened as God was calling my dad to ministry and he was trying to hear the voice of the Lord mom and daddy went to Kmart in Akron Ohio where we lived went over to a Kmart and they got a parking spot not knowing that someone else wanted that parking spot mom and dad finally got their stuff out of the car and was headed in I think they were going to Put stuff on layaway for Christmas. Layaway is where you... Okay. <laughs> you don't always know people. You don't know. Blue light, blue light, blue light. Kmart. What did the birds say when they flew over Kmart? Cheap, cheap, cheap. Anyhow, that's dumb. That's so dumb. When mom and daddy got to the door, there was two big burly men standing at the door and they accused my dad of taking their spot. And they said, we know you knew that was our spot. And daddy didn't know. Daddy was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, wrestling with the call to ministry on his life. They began to taunt him in that vestibule right there at the entrance, and they backed him up against the wall. Amen. They backed him up against the wall, sis. And, and, they, were going, and, and they were going to take care of him. They were going to beat him down. Anger, rage. Now know that it was a spirit. You see a bigger picture sometimes when you look back. There was a spirit in all of that. Daddy said to my mom, let's go, and they went back to the car. Well, by the time he got to the car, he was so angry, and the flesh was working on him, he opened up the trunk and was going to get the tire iron out. He didn't know that those men were still watching. They thought he was getting a gun. The Holy Ghost checked him. He put the tire iron back, shut the door. They waited. They decided to go back. Surely they've left now. They won't be there to bother us. When they got back, they were standing there to greet him again. 
more angry, more angry. They backed my dad up against the wall. A big crowd of people began to gather. They were going to beat him down. And all of a sudden, my mom began to speak in other tongues. My Baptist mother began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And there came a cry out of her as she began to pray in the Spirit that that burly man was lifted up and pulled off of my daddy. The other man said, if I'd have known your wife was a Christian, I would have never bothered you. But the Spirit had to be subject. The demon had to be subject to the Spirit of God. Oh, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need the power of the Holy Ghost in operation in your life. Come on, stand to your feet if you will. You can recognize evil spirits and you can take authority over them. Father, in this place tonight, we yield our members to you. We yield our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit, our tongue. We yield everything to you and ask you to take full possession of us. We tonight will drive out the squatter, the space invader. In Jesus' name, no demon. In Jesus' name, I drive out fear. I drive out anxiety. Hey, I drive out depression. I drive out suicidal thoughts. I come over that spirit in the name of Jesus and I command it to leave me. I command it to not have any access into my life. And God, wherever the door had been opened, wherever there's been an entryway, reveal it to me, God. Reveal it to me by the Spirit, and I shut it now. I shut the door where the enemy cannot have access into my space, cannot have access to my mind, cannot have access to my body. Come on, somebody. Come in agreement with me. We, we tell the devil, you cannot, you cannot torment me in my dreams. You cannot have my children. In Jesus' name, I take authority over every demon and every spirit of hell. In the name of Jesus. Come on, you are not afraid. You are strong and you are courageous. Lift your voice and declare, in the name of Jesus, I have overcome because he overcame. I have overcome. Come on, if you believe that tonight, stand and praise him. If you believe that tonight, declare it out of your mouth. Hey, pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 